You're listening to Finding Your Genius Zone with Dirk Novell. With the help of successful individuals across industries, Dirk breaks down the unknown parts of every vocation while highlighting the importance of finding a career where you can leverage your natural skills, passions, and interests. Now here's your host, Dirk Novell. Everybody, this is Dirk Novell. Welcome to my podcast. On with me today is Audrey Gale. Audrey, welcome. Thank you so much, Dirk. I'm pleased to be here with you. And uh, thanks for having me on. You're welcome. So I don't know Audrey um, that well. In fact, we've talked a couple of times. Audrey was a, a, a friend of a mutual friend. Um, and I believe you might have met James at USC. Is that correct? Yes, your friend James Owens and my friend James Owens. I went through the writing program at SC with him. And we awesome. have uh, continued our friendship and our uh, we we work in a writing group as well. So he's edited a lot of my stuff and I've edited a lot of his stuff. And we've just we've we've been very close friends ever since. Yeah, James is a, a really great guy. Um, we went to school together at University of Santa Monica and we became good buddies. So um, Audrey is a writer, but she's much more than that. You know, she she's we're going to get into her story a little more. Um, but Audrey, maybe you could talk a little bit about just being a writer, how you became a writer. Um, you know, were there signs at a younger age that led you in this direction? And even maybe go backwards and, and talk about your your time as uh, a banker or in the banking industry and maybe some of the things you might have felt back then that like this isn't what I want to do and just kind of what brought you to become a writer? You know, it's funny you say early influences. Um, not too long ago, my sister, my oldest sister, I have four sisters. So yeah, there's a lot of female thinking and issues in my mind at all times. Um, but my oldest sister sent me my first book. I think I was in fifth grade and I got a B plus on it, but that didn't stop me. I, I think I've been thinking about writing on some subliminal level, perhaps my whole life. I remember telling my little sister what my first book would be titled and so on and so forth. So I think in the back of my mind or at some profound fundamental level, writing was always going to be it. And how that got in there, I don't really know, except I did see my dad with his nose in the book like 100% of the time he was home. So that obviously had an influence. And the first uh, novel that I read, which was James Michener's Hawaii. Again, I, I don't know how old I was, 12, 13, 11. It, it, that changed me profoundly. I grew up in Wauwatosa, Wisconsin. And um, my family vacations were everybody piled in the car, all seven of us. We drove without air conditioning to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania to visit my dad's mom. And so I, it was just eye opening to me. The whole world opened up because Hawaii has a number of, if you've not read it, it has a number of separate books within the book. And one is about the, the early... Um, white settlers who came with the banner of Jesus in their hand and ended up kind of owning most of Hawaii, which is pretty amazing. Um, it's a Japanese story. It's a Korean story. There's, there's all these different ethnic groups that combine in Hawaii. 
And um, so I felt like I'd traveled around the world and I never forgot that. And so, um, but being from a family of, of five girls, no boys and a workaholic father and a really overworked mother, I always felt so sorry for her. Well, I probably didn't always feel sorry for her, but as I grew up, I began to feel sorry for her. Um, she worked so hard just to keep the house going. My grandfather lived with us for a while. So just a lot of people and meals and laundry and stuff I kind of find unsatisfying. Anyway, so um, I saw a difference in the way our family was when my dad was at work as versus when my dad came home. So I think I forgot about writing for a while and I wanted to get a business degree, which I did. My undergraduate degree is business. And I wanted to explore the business world because that's where I thought my dad's extra power came from. Since he sort of, when he walked in, the house changed. So I did get a, a business degree um, and I went into, uh, a kind of a side door into banking. I started out in the advertising department at one of the big banks in San Francisco. And um, and I really loved it. I, I, I kept being given opportunities. I went from advertising into a credit training program that was very prestigious in this particular company. Um, and then I went into from lending, international lending, which I never did, but I did get trained in it. Then I went into cash management and ended up working in foreign currencies and a few other really interesting things to me. And um, and I really, again, I I didn't have this like big plan, except maybe in the back of my mind, eventually writing. Um, I just was sort of going with the flow and doing a good job so that more opportunities kept opening to me. And that happened. Until about, well, so then what I discovered in the business world is what everybody intuitively knows, but I had to discover it firsthand, which is he who has the money, he or she who has the money, tends to be in control of the family life, of the home, of the business, whatever. So no big surprises there. And what happened to me in the corporate world after 21 years is I really just tired of the gamesmanship. Um, it, it, there's a lot of, you know, strategy and, you know, people aligning themselves with so-and-so who's going here and so-and-so who's going there and a lot of, you know, competitiveness, which is good for all of us on some level, but I eventually tired of that game. So that's when it just came back to the forefront of my mind that I always wanted to be a writer. And again, opportunity opened to me. I, I quit my job. I retired from banking. And I had the opportunity to go to, I live in Los Angeles. I had the opportunity to go to USC. Um, I was accepted in the writing program. and. Um, I, I knew from that very first fiction book I read, which was Hawaii, um, I knew that I wanted to write fiction. And I think that it's 
a personality thing. I have a very active imagination and it loves to play un unrestrictedly. And also I have a very nerdy side, which likes to spend time letting my imagination run free and sitting in my office for hours at a time by myself, writing and working through issues and problems in my writing, questions I might have about characters, what's the point of this book, you know, all those big questions about writing. And then I have a very social side. So this career, both careers actually satisfied that. I was in um, a sales position in, in a corporate bank, and that allowed me to interact with all different kinds of people and, you know, make mistakes, learn, grow, some regrets, mostly just, you know, taking what I've learned and, and using it. And, um, and so anyway, so then I ended up finally with a master's degree in writing from USC and my very first published novel, which is called The Sausage Maker's Daughters, which is set in the 60s in Wisconsin at, at the very radical campus of Madison, Wisconsin. Very radical. In fact, it's where the first death due to the anti-war movement occurred. Most people think it's Kent State, but it was University of Wisconsin in Madison. Anyway, so I, I uh, that first that these that was my thesis. I had to write a novel to graduate. That was my thesis, and then some years later, after much refinement, I published that novel. And um, and I will say it was grueling. Uh, in those days, when you first published a novel. Well, back in the day, before COVID, um, you traveled all over the place. You went to every little bookstore, every conference, every related subject conference, um, and you met lots of people, and you made connections and relationships, and you sold books that way. And um, so it was a pretty grueling experience but I did enjoy it. I believed in my book. I believed in the way fiction writing in particular for me, but writing in general just opens worlds. You know, you don't have to live your one little life. You can live hundreds of lives. You can live in the past. You can live in the future. You can live in the day. You can be a male. You can be a female. You can be a child. You can be a old crone you, yeah. it just allows you what i guess the net net for me is one life is just not enough that's why i'm an avid reader that's why i'm a writer so anyway so that's how i came into writing and um, i did after that pretty grueling year i did take a year off and said i'm not going to ever write again it was just such hard work but then the, by the next year i was starting to miss it and pretty soon I was back at it. So that eventually led to the novel I just published called The Human Trial. Um, two different author names, which is not the easiest thing in the world I could have done, but 
Um, Audrey Gale is my author name going forward. Gale spelled like the storm, G-A-L-E. And so that's where I am. I'm, I just published my first novel in a trilogy, a medical thriller called The Human Trial. And um, yeah, I and read I'm the, already working on the sequel. I read uh, a little bit about it and it, I want to get into that. And I didn't mean to cut you off, but I really, I, I bef- a couple of things are popping in my head that I want to kind of talk about. Um, and then we'll get into the world of writing. <clears throat> but I guess I'm, I'm wondering, and because I, in my mind, I'm thinking other people that are watching this might have similar feelings, but you were one of, you said five sisters? Yeah, there's five girls in my family, yes. Okay. And I can really relate <clears throat> to the power of the dad, the energy. You know, uh, he, my dad was a pilot. So when he went away, uh, things got a lot less stressful. And <laughs> my, my, my mom and I would always have a lot of fun making forts in the house with blankets and putting a TV. <laughs> and, you know, she was very playful. And But when he came home, we were, you know, he was very, I'll just say his energy was very powerful. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so it's interesting because when you're talking, I'm thinking about some of the things that have formed me in my life and I can relate to what I think you are talking about. I, one of the things was writing like, to me, was it an escape? Was it, was it a freedom for you to kind of like escape from this, not feeling trapped, but maybe feeling like you had no control or you wanted just to get away from that feeling and freedom was uh, the ability for you just to kind of go anywhere you want? Yeah, I think for sure. I, I think writing is, gives me what my imagination gives me, which is, you know, unlimited horizons. As I was just saying, you know, time, space, your your sex, your you know, you can be anything and anybody, and it is an incredible sense of freedom. Um, but that's not it's not all that writing is about for me. It's the the process of actually making a book, a novel in my case, requires again, my nerdy side and my social side, lots and lots and lots of research. I set this particular story in the 1930s based on the people who inspired the story. And so I had to learn about the depression. I uh, had to learn about different places in the country. It takes place in Boston and Los Angeles. it's not all just sitting down and letting your imagination rip. It is a lot of background work that then starts to form an environment, a place, a time, what was going on in the world. Think about the 1930s, for example. It starts out with the big crash of 29. And the the economy worldwide was sinking lower every year, probably till about the mid-30s sometime. And it ends, that decade ends with the outbreak of World War II. So it's a lot of interesting historical stuff, which then influences all the characters and the story. So uh, there's freedom, yes. And then there's really getting down to the details of the time and the 
characters you create have to fit within that time. They may have a, a reason, they must have a reason for being or, or they shouldn't be in your book. So there's, it's kind of a funny balance. It, there's a, to me, there's freedom, but there's also the realization that if you're not someone who likes to really get into the nits and grits of researching a story or a time or a place, um, you'll be, you'd be unhappy as a writer because that's what brings it to life. The, the, the authenticating details, I think, is the word we use in writing school. Authenticating details. <laughs> and yeah. of course, there's a fine line between too much of that and not enough of that. So it's a really an interesting process, but you have to be able to do a lot of hard work. I cannot tell you how many times you'll edit something. So you better love it. Because you'll read it a million times and you have to still find your passion for it. Yeah, I love this. So let's I, it, so if you're watching, uh, watching and you're listening and you're and you're thinking, I want to be a writer. Uh, what you're really kind of talking about are the different skill sets that are very different, like the creativity, the, the attention to detail. Um, what would you say, like you've kind of been saying this, but if you were to have a, a child and they, they said they want to follow in your footsteps, what would you say just watching other writers in school, friends, peers, maybe are the three or four um, staples to being a writer? I mean, you mentioned attention to detail, um, creativity. I mean, are we missing any? Um, determination would be super, superly required. You know, it's a, it's a long haul. Um, you'll get people who will read your work and, and you, you learn from people reading your work on an early basis because you think you've said something and people aren't hearing that or they're misinterpreting it or they're interpreting it in a way you never anticipated, which probably will always happen no matter what, but it's good to get early readers. Um, yeah, determination, I think, Maybe that is just the requisite for anything you want to do. It, 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 I don't know a whole lot of people who said it was easy, whatever they're doing. Um, and the people who tend to rise above, just never let go of the dream, never let go of the pursuit, never let go of the hard work, wherever it might take them. It's 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 tough out there in the hard, cold world. <laughs> and there's a lot of talented people who some make it, some don't. And what is the difference? The difference really is the determination and the sticking with it and just not letting anything stop them. I always so, use the word grit. Grit is a great word. Grit yeah. is a great word. Grit. Yeah. Just but but you know having having the vision, seeing a goal, knowing that might change as you move toward it, but continually finding a way toward it. Yep, I love it. Um, it's funny. I I can I I love dogs. I got my dog barking. I think I heard you. Yours. Hear, you hear mine? <laughs> no, which I love, but I I've got I've got a big livestock dog that loves to bark. Um, so okay, so. I'm I'm listening and I'm thinking like this is kind of the 
this is kind of what my podcast is all about is you can go down a road. Maybe it's your dad's definition of success and he's very into money and you have an attachment and it's just about, and so you go down this road and I was speaking individually, like uh, running a race that maybe you don't necessarily want to win can get exhausting after a while. And then you start thinking, but like with what you're doing, it's not an easy race is what I'm hearing. It's not all fun and games. And, but if it's the right race, that's kind of, that takes you to kind of where you need to go. And I, I think that's what I'm trying to have young adults do is spend a little time taking inventory of what lights you up and what you're naturally gifted to do and, and kind of what you were doing when you were a little kid. And on a Saturday, what you did for eight hours, it's felt like 30 minutes because I, I feel like if you can identify what, what that is, then the race, not that race is going to be easy, but the race becomes authentic. And then it's a race that, I don't know, I feel like you can have more joy in your life and more success. Um, so I like what you're saying, because it's not like it's all perfect. It's tough. No, um, I, I like what you're saying. You know, the authentic race. We, we I think, you know, I don't mean to insult anybody, but what do we know at 16 or 20? Uh, we see examples. We see things that look cool, things we might want to try. And and you should do all of it. Do all of it. I've always said to um, my husband's grandchildren, uh, make as many mistakes as you can young because you're so flexible and so resilient and you'll come back and you'll have learned something and remember what you learned, take that with you. Um, but, but yeah, you have to, you have to be prepared for failure. Everybody has some and it usually, and it should be educational, but I like what you said about your sort of following the path of maybe what you thought your parents thought would be a good path for you. And I probably did the same thing. I followed my dad into the business world. And it it was lots of fun, as I said, for a while. And then it wasn't. And then the, my more authentic side was saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. Weren't you always going to write books? Wasn't that really what you sort of dreamed about as a child? And so, you know, eventually you get there. At least eventually I got there. And I don't regret any of the experiences getting me there because they all shape who I am today. And it shapes my writing and it shapes my life. Yeah, no, I love it. I, uh, I asked this question at the end, but I'll ask it now. If you could start over knowing what you know, would you have bypassed the banking world and gone right into writing at 24, 25? Hmm. You know, I don't think so. I don't think so because Finding out who I am in the business world, finding out what it's about. There's no magic there, but I thought there was magic. I had to experience it. I had to learn. And then finding out how to succeed in that world has given me, I think, a power that I would really be missing if I had just gone into writing. Um I, the experiences of going up against the guys, I'm a, a generation where I was often the only female in the room and handling that was always a challenge. Um, I think the business world 
though it wasn't for me forever, it was it provided me great insights into who I am, my strengths and weaknesses, what the world is like out there, um, where you know money, power, greed, success, whatever. Uh, learning about that firsthand was invaluable. So I think I think it would have been a mistake for me to just start writing because I would have never known who I was on that level and what the world is like on that level. But I do think we tend as we age to be drawn to more creative pursuits. Um, I think ultimately it's that authentic self saying, but is this, is this satisfying to me? Can I, is this what I want my life to mean? Is this, is this what's going to be written on my tombstone? <laughs> you know, she made a lot of money or she was a great banker or she was a great, all of it. You know, you there's a balance there that you have to find. Um, I think I'd rather have a great writer on my tombstone than anything else, but that's, uh, you know, <laughs> you have to think about those things sooner or later, because again, it, it shapes the direction you take in life. Um, yeah. But you know, here's the thing about the male versus female that is undeniable. Um, you know, a woman who wants to have it all, have a successful career in whatever it might be, and a family, just has to realize how it's hard to do any one of those things. And to do them both is... I don't know, I would have found it impossible. I I was all in or not in. Um, and that takes a special skill set, maybe special support, special understanding between partners before they begin this journey of being parents. Um, and in my day, it put women at a little bit of a disadvantage. I do think that that has changed and I think it will continue to change. But um, women taking time off to have to raise their children, it can be detrimental to a career in the corporate world or anywhere outside of the home. And so one of the good things about a creative lifestyle, like writing, like music, art, is that you tend to be able to work from home. And that could be very helpful to someone who wanted to try to have it all. Again, it's uh, it would be a tough balancing act. That's all I have to say. Unless, you know, you have a partner who's incredibly participative and so forth. Those are all issues that women have to think about, I think, much more so than men. Yeah, I agree. And I think so even today. Don't you, Dirk? I do. Um, I'm thinking about, um, so my mom is amazing. She's, she's like, I mean, I... I don't know if the word hero, but like, I'm so she's, she was very successful in the, in, in the corporate world, but she was always present in an amazing mom. Oh, wow. And we, yeah. And she also was the, uh, safety, you know, I had a, a dad that was difficult and scary. And so, I mean, like she had many skill sets of balancing and, and, but at the end of the day, like I, I'm kind of a, smart ass. I like, I, I like to laugh. I mean, my mom is goofy and funny. I mean, she had so many ranges of skill sets and 
I'm listening to you and I'm thinking like in my mind as a kid, I'm like, I didn't think about it, but now as a 53 year old, I'm like, how the hell did she do all this? How did she? Um, and, <laughs> and she's still amazing. She's on the, she chairs the board of Seattle Children's Hospital. I mean, I mean, she's, she's amazing. Um, and my wife is amazing as well. She's uh, one of the best moms I've ever seen. And she works in the corporate world and you're right. It's not, it's, 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 I want to say it's not fair, but it's not fair in a way because um, I know, biology. <laughs> I know. And, and so I I'm with you um, and I'm a really good dad. Like I'm very present. I used to work in technology, traveled, worked for Mark Cuban. And, and then I realized I went, I went back to school to be a psychologist. And then that's when I got in the mortgage lending. I was like, I needed a day job, pay the bills while yeah. I went to night school. And I realized I didn't want to be a, I couldn't be a psychologist because if I was working with a kid and he was getting bullied by his dad, I'd probably go say hi to his dad. <laughs> and then I, I realized I just couldn't, I couldn't with my temperament, I just couldn't deal, <laughs> deal with this stuff. So and falling into lending, but one of the, you know, lending is, and I'm not, I, I really try to shut up and not talk about me, but I, I want to prove this point is like, I'm really good at lending. I've been in it 20 plus years. But it's really hard. The thing I don't really get to use is like whatever God gave me, my gifts, my skills, the things that makes Dirk unique. I don't really get to use them in this industry. And there's a hunger like, and you know, whether it's you in writing or me doing a podcast, like I want at least at the end of the day of my life, I want to at least use what I had, you know, and. Um, but being present, we we're talking about moms doing all of it. I was always waking up with my kids. I was going to bed with them. I coached all their sports and I still went out and did okay financially. So I was, I'm proud of that reframe my time in the mortgage business. Um, I'm proud of being a good dad, yeah. but for, for a mom, it's just a different level of all the thing, you know, they have to do from maybe getting up more often in the night to feed. Uh, they just, it's a more delicate, uh, it's more, I'll just say it's, it's a different gig. It's a different job. So I totally can relate to you. Uh, and then I have a daughter who's amazing. She's in college and we talk a lot about careers and my, my goal is just be happy, you know, go be joyful. And, um, you know, that's a secret too, isn't it Dirk? Because if, if you're not enjoying being joyful, if you're not enjoying it, your passion fizzles and you won't have that drive that uh, most choices require to really succeed. So it's it's joyful. Joyful is important. That's why you know you you. I like your question about what lights you up in your youth, because that's kind of authentically you. You weren't you weren't seasoned enough to be playing at anything you were just being you and um and and that and that will carry you a long way finding you and being you i love it um there's a fear that wasn't present when i was a child right um comparing you know the ultimate thief of joy I mean, there's just a lot of things that you develop as you get older that I developed. I always work on my I language. I shouldn't say that we, um, but I remember as you get older, you start thinking about failure, how you look, 
but as a child, you were innocent and you just went with it. And exactly. um, exactly. with joy, yeah. with joy, that secret ingredient, joy and yeah. And love. I mean, it was just kind of, it, and, and I, and somehow I understand, like, I'm not a pie in the sky, kumbaya kind of guy. I know jobs aren't always easy. I know life isn't always easy. I know there's bills. I know there's things, college school, you know, paying for college. But I do think though, I see, I, I look around at the people I know and I've seen very successful people and the truly successful people, like I can tell there's something different. There's joy in what they do and it's authentic and it's real. And they're in your zone of genius, which is this podcast. So like that. Get, zone get, of genius. Yeah, Gay Hendricks is a um, author and he wrote The Big Leap. So the genius zone, it's not my, I'm not, I didn't invent it. Uh, I really like his stuff. And um, it's all about being above the line with your energy and the return on, not investment, but the return on energy. And he talks about the genius zone and really what are those things that you were born into this world naturally with and how to leverage those and align them in your career. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, as a writer, getting back to that, like if you had a child that was dead set on following in your footsteps, I guess one question would be, what would you warn them about that they, you know, cause th this is about the job beyond the job description. I think again, yeah. as a writer, it's sexy, it's kind of exciting, it's romantic, but there's a lot of stuff I'm sure that people don't understand. Yeah. And then what the uh, second question is what surprised you? What, I mean, I know you're smart, you have a lot of life experience, but what didn't you see coming? Well, I guess I didn't see how hard this business would be. It's a very hard business, but as I think about it further, I think most creative realms are. Um, there's a lot of talented people in every aspect of life. And, um, and, and so to rise above the crowd is always going to be very difficult. It, you just have to accept difficulty as part of it, part of life, part of every part of life, actually. Um, what surprised me is um, it's really more, I, I would like to go to the change since COVID. Um, the business has changed dramatically. And what disappoints me to some degree about writing is now if you have a big name, you're a celeb of some sort, and you have a million followers on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, or wherever you might be, that has kind of become more of a prerequisite for getting published traditionally than anything. And um, I'm of a generation that none of that comes exactly naturally. I am on those sites, but uh, I like to to write long-term fiction. So writing little sentences here and there sometimes just doesn't appeal to me. Uh, so it's become a little bit more, in today's world, the publishing world has become a little bit more of a cult of personality. Uh, and I think there's a huge loss there because there's a lot of, as I say, a lot of talented people but they don't, they're not a household word. They're not a name, everyone knows. Um, 
but again, you know, if this is what you got to do, then this is what you do. And that's kind of the baseline. If if my if I had a daughter who said to me, I want to be a writer like you, I would say, if you have to do it, find a way to do it. And if it just sounds cool or sexy or, you know, whatever, then you better be prepared for the other side of it, which is tons of hard work, a lot of alone time in your office, in your head, um, lots of research, lots and lots of research to be authentic sounding. And you would better create a world, if you're gonna write fiction in particular, you better be able to create a world that is cohesive, that makes sense to your readers. That, oh yeah, this is what they would look like. This is what they'd be listening to. This is what they'd be eating and drinking. And this was what would be on their minds. You know, the depression, the war, whatever. So, um, you know, if you got to do it, do it. Yeah. I kind of no. had to do it, so I'm doing it. <laughs> I love it. So what about just being a writer in general, like the life, like, okay, so you you spent a lot of time, probably late nights, researching, back editing, redoing it, relooking at it. And, but, but once you kind of put the pen down or stop typing, like, is it a job that you can be present? Like, can you go watch your kids play soccer, go on vacations, or is it hard to, you know, things like that, like the freedom, uh, I, I'm curious about compensation, like how typically a writer is paid. Mm -hmm. um, what are some of the things beyond the job description that might be helpful to somebody that's considering this career? Well, the first thing you brought up, which was the freedom to be at your kids' games and so on, I think it offers a tremendous amount of that because you can work, if you're writing, you can work around all of that. You can work late. You can work early. You can get up at six o'clock in the morning and start writing. You you can you can schedule yourself pretty freely. I I would think in most creative careers, including music and art and so forth. Um, so I think a writing life offers that, and that's a big plus for a woman who again a woman who would want to have a family and a marriage and a, a separate personal life. There's a lot of freedom in the scheduling there and that's a good thing. Um, the compensation, um, if you're one of those big names, <laughs> the compensation is incredible. Um, if you're not, it's like any job, you have to slug it out. You have to find a way, you have to eke your way up. And um, compensation can be terrible and everything in between from fabulous to, you know, I think the way most novelists make their money would be selling a, selling to a, a screenwriter of making a film. I think that's where the big compensation would generally come from. So, but you can't really write to that. <laughs> and even if you do, you sell your you sell your manuscript to somebody and it's sold and they do whatever they want. So unless again you have a certain name, you lose control over that most lucrative step. And your film may look nothing like your book. And in fact, I think most of us who read and then look at a movie of the same wonder wow, that didn't happen. And what happened to this important aspect? <laughs> and um, for example, I one of my favorite books 
relatively recent books is um, All the Light We Cannot See. Anthony Doerr, I love that novel because it does what my novel had to do. It 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 goes it, it goes as deep into a scientific basis as you can without losing what I wanted, which was a broad spectrum of readership. I don't want scientists reading my book. Well, I, I do want scientists reading my book, but I don't want only scientists reading my book. I want readers of historical fiction, any kind of fiction, you know, any kind of nonfiction. I'm a big nonfiction reader, as evidenced by the bibliography at the end of my novel. It's a little unusual, but I put in the books that really inspired my understanding of the underlying underlying science, which was investigating the gap between the discoveries of the great physicists like Einstein and Bohr in the early 1900s that has never yet made the crossover into traditional medicine as practiced today. That's 125 years. And science is science, fact is fact, right? <laughs> that was sort of the beginning of my questioning. Um, so the compensation, it's all over the map. And, and if you're really lucky, it's huge. And if you're more normal, it's probably somewhere in the middle of terrible to great. I get about five five bucks a month. I you know I wrote that book. I'm not a writer, but I, I wrote a book years ago, and uh, I see these things come in every month, like four dollars or five dollars. So <laughs> I, you sold a book. <laughs> well, I, I published it. It was on. It's on. You know, it's on all the. You know, it's on driving what not to do. And um, but it's funny. I'm on the spectrum of making nothing, but I did it. I did it because. I got tired of talking about it. So I was proud that I just actually did it. You know, uh, you should be proud. It's a it's a big deal. It's a lot yeah. of work. And it's yeah. not just the writing, because then you stop the writing, then you have to sell the manuscript, you have to have editors, you have to rewrite, you have to promote yourself, you have to you have to keep switching hats all the time. I do you I, I don't know if I asked you this when we first talked. Are you do you know who Joe Dispenza is? Yeah, sure do. Okay, Here's so my I, dog, Maddie, come and say hi. What kind of dog you got? This is a a a, a yellow lab. Oh, labs are so loving. I, you know, she's just so protective. I just I adore her for that. I I feel safer with her around. Dogs are um, yeah. What I was telling you about the 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 guy that a has a race car, the podcast that I did, mm -hmm. he wrote a manuscript that got turned into a movie and it was, um, it, it was about the race car driver loses his wife and it's talk. Uh, Kevin Costner does the voice through the dog. Oh, do you remember that one? It was pretty, uh, and, and, and he actually ends up him and his daughter moved to Italy and he becomes a, um, I don't know. What is it? Wag, uh, wag of the. Anyways, it, but um, I'm a dog freak, and uh, the dog eventually goes to the Rainbow Bridge. But um, there's a scene in the movie where he's a race car driver, and the dog loved to ride in the race car in the track. I know tracks. this book. I know this book. I can't think of the name either. It's like 
racing in the rain. Yes. Yeah, some, like, yes. And it was like filmed. That? Yeah. Uh, something in the rain. Cause it was filmed in Seattle, a lot of rain up here. Uh -huh. um, but, uh -huh. and it was a famous actor and Amanda Friedman played the wife who passed away. And, but I don't know any movie with dogs. <laughs> I, I know I, uh, it's, uh, <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah, it's hard. It's, uh, anyways, I'm a big fan. Um, one of the things I wanted to ask you before we end this, um, and I might be reading into this, so just tell me if I'm not, but like, I, I'm always been kind of passionate about taking on the bully. Like, you know, my dad was kind of a bully, but like, as I got older, different things became bullies. Um, I think the whole the career and money and how people money's not bad, but I think how people are forced into careers they don't like, um, you know, just not spending time trying to figure out what you're good at, what you love to do. And just, you know, people get locked in with these golden handcuffs and yeah. they have families and then they're trapped. Um, in yeah. your latest novel, um, I was reading a little bit about it where he was part of the establishment and then he, and then he um, comes up with something that challenge basically. Is, is there any kind of like, cause I've always had this thing against big pharma and like my freedom and what, you know, being forced to, get a shot if I don't want to get a shot and I don't believe in it. Um, is there any of that in your book? Are you, are you, are you taking on the establishments or am I misreading that? No, I would say you're zooming right in this book, uh, does zero in on the establishment. So in the medical world, I've come to call it the interlocking directorate. That is, the very top level of the medical establishment who determines what your education looks like, what you need to know to be certified as a doctor, what you need to know to be recertified as a doctor, what you may or may not do. It's, it's, it's rigorous. And then there's Big Pharma who owns every politician you ever heard of, um, as well as the top level of government regulators. So and, and then what's the third aspect of my interlocking directorate? Oh, um, the medical field, the pharmacies, and government itself. CDC. Our CDC, the uh, absolutely. I my my internist actually went to work for either the FDA or the CDC. I can't remember when she graduated from medical school, and she said it was such a experience that she almost left medicine but she had you know she had specific things she wanted to be able to do in the world and being an md allows her to do that um so it's very very political and there's lots of books written on this subject about the politics of cancer the politics of medicine it's it's that's really what this book is about. Exactly. Did you say the Did you say the politics or the profitability? Uh, well, I could have said either, but <laughs> I said politics. Right, right. And it's all related to, uh, you know, well, the pharmaceutical companies have are, are enormously wealthy, yep. and in their P and L statements, they have a huge line that says marketing expenses through which they make contributions to political parties, to politicians to help the regulators out, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, it's a pretty powerful, scary, uh, it's, 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 
it's scary. And just one statistic I'd like to, to say that we know we're doing something wrong is we pay at least twice as much as any other developed country, the citizens therein, for exactly the same medicines and drugs and radiation and surgery and blah, blah, blah. All the stuff that traditional medicine says we should do. And yet, since 1980, we've been losing um, our, our life expectancy measurement against all those same developed countries. Since 1980, we are losing life expectancy here in the United States. We're doing something wrong. And so, yeah, this is kind of, this is David down here and there's the Goliath. You know, I'm definitely flying under the radar at the moment, so I'm safe. <laughs> do, do you, uh, there was a really good book uh, about David and Goliath and it was written by, gosh, I'm blanking on these, I apologize. Uh, but it was interesting. David actually went into that supposed, he was supposed to be the one who won. And I don't know, it, they go into the history of uh, the people that did what David did. And so Goliath was actually the one, it wasn't David here and Goliath here. David was supposed to win that fight. Uh -huh. And I don't know, it's, I'll, I'll shoot you a text on that book. Uh, All right. was, uh, Gladwell, Malcolm, is it Malcolm Gladwell? I don't know. Anyways, he, yeah, he wrote that. Anyway, um, I know we kind of went off course a little bit, but I, I'm, I, I was curious a little bit the uh, flavor and the, the, the why and you know what's, what, what, what's kind of like getting translated into the words and where it's coming from. I think it's great. I love where you're going. Um, yeah, and it's and so what? So even though it's uh, look seriously at the science really what ends up being quantum physics, which of course all of you out there want to know more about, and medical pathology, it really just has wonderfully flawed characters who carry the story. So even if you're not, you know, dying to know what it means, what quantum physics means, you you hopefully the characters have enough flaws and humanity and desires and frustrations and all the things that make us people that you can follow them with some level of satisfaction. Well, relate. I mean, I think the vulnerability, I mean, nobody's yeah. perfect. Um, by the way, I, I, I had an old moment here when I talked about Joe, then I think I went off in a different yeah, direction. Joe Dispenza. I do know Joe Dispenza. But Joe, I mean, I've been to his seminars. I've met Joe. I'm an avid um, meditator. Uh, a lot of what he talks, I mean, he brings in scientists from all over the world and, um, you know, all the different skill sets, the modalities. I mean, and, you know, there's people that come to these seminars and we do, you know, a friend of mine just got back last week. There was 2,600 people and wow. it sounds like a cult, but you know, some cults are good. I mean, it's <laughs> Joe, they're not trying to change your religion, but a lot of it is scientific and thoughts and energy and your beliefs. And, you know, there's a lot of healing that goes on. People come in with things like cancer and I mean, a lot of things, you know, even like the gluten-free people on a different level, but it is really interesting when you, and I, I'm not at your level, but when you talk about all the science, the things that have been around for a long, long time that could translate to curing, but maybe they're not profitable. Um, I think profit is a big motive in terms yep. of why we are so drug oriented. You cannot patent uh, 
the energetic basis of life. You can't patent that. So, but you can patent a drug that will maybe do some good, maybe do some bad. But, you know, people, we've been raised as a take a pill and call the doctor in the morning society. And, and again, the measurement of life expectancy seems to me to be telling us we're doing something wrong. <laughs> yeah, I, I would agree. My wife is, uh, we're, we're on the natural path side of things and we've had to do a lot of work over the years on all of us and the family. And thank God she's driven that boat or that car. And I, I, I probably would have just had my blinders on and followed suit, but, um, I, I, I'm really glad that my wife is the way she is because I feel like we're all healthier and, and, yeah. uh, we yeah. do get sick of course, but like, I just feel like it's the right way. Everything from the chemicals that you clean your house with to the food oh, you wow. eat to t- turning off your router at night. I mean, there's just so many things anyways, <laughs> enough of that. Okay. So as a writer, um, I, I am curious. So is your goal just to continue writing? Like, is there a quantity or is it a quality issue? Like, is there a book you haven't written? Like what, what's going to be at the end of the day, you talked about your tombstone, like what's going to be success for you as a writer? I would like to think of my writing as contributing to positive social change. And I think our our medical establishment needs a little examining. So that's what this current series is. Now, I it's it's planned out to be a trilogy. I told you the first installment is the sausage, uh, not the sausage maker's daughters. That's the first novel. That's way back when. The first installment of the medical thriller trilogy is the human trial. I'm already working on the sequel. And then because it's related to medicine and uh, dangerous discoveries within medicine, it does come into the COVID era. So I'm planning to do a trilogy. And yeah, there's other books I'd like to write. I really like to write about um, my grandmother who lived a very hard life and did heroic things and never ever thought of herself as a hero. Uh, That would require so much research because I'd have to go back like a century almost and different countries and so on anyway but i that that is like if 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 i get through this trilogy in a timely manner that's where i'm going that book has been on my mind for quite some time i love it um i'm going to ask this and i'm trying to figure out how to ask this question but is is writing like a subconscious desire to leave something behind when you move on and die pass on like is there something is that is that a driver you think for a lot of people that want to get in i mean they love the writing but i I, i'm thinking about like leaving something behind like i don't know if anybody will remember me in a hundred years but like if you have these books they're going to be reading your books and remembering you know thinking about you is that is there something to that for you you know absolutely and i think that's a basic human need is it, it, it seems to me that everybody would want to have some kind of legacy mm-hmm. whether it's like everybody in the world will know you you're some huge figure or that you've just created a successful company or successful family or successful children 
who will continue to carry that on. I think there's definitely legacy aspirations in this for me. I don't have children of my own. I anyway. Have dogs, come on. I I, I have steps. Well, dogs, <laughs> the dogs. Steps. And I have and I'm a huge dog and cat person. So, um yeah, so Awesome. But, but this but writing does I can point to something. You know, I can point to my little book here. Here it is, The Human Trial. And I'll always be able to point to that book, whether I'm here or not. That'll always be part of who I am. I love it. Um, as we end, I and I always use the word Tommy boy. My wife says I got to stop using that. But there's a scene where he's trying to be a sales guy and he keeps messing up the scripting. And so, so one of the things I remember Jim Carrey did, I think it was like a Harvard graduation speech. And he was talking about, um, you might, you know, you can fail at something you don't like, or you can fail at something you love. And I, I think about people like you in La La Land, there's a, a song about the writers and the, the creative people and the braveness that goes into going down that road. And so I always love to bump into people like you that are brave enough to kind of tune into the creativity and go for it. Um, because at the end of the day, I always think about like in 20 years, would I rather meet the version of myself that went for it or the version of myself that played it safe? So yeah. I think what you're doing is great. Um, is there anything that you uh, tip your tongue that you want to leave the audience with? Oh, I'm or... so sorry. Oh my goodness. I forgot to turn my phone off. Sorry. That's all right. It's all good. I told you these, <laughs> these videos, I mean, I, Hey, it's unscripted. This is real. This is real life. This is real life. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Uh, is there anything you want to leave the audience with that might be, you know, the audience of those who might think they want to be a writer or just any career advice? You know, my advice really is that simple phrase I've already used. If you have to do it, then do it, do it with your whole being, do it with everything you got, do it with joy and passion. And even on the bad days, remember how lucky you are to be one of the people doing that, following your passion. Um, and anyway, so if you're interested in any of the subject matter of my book, I would just have to do a little pitch for The Human Trial by Audrey Gale, G-A-L-E, like the storm, like the big wind that I tend to be. Um, and, and, I think we need to build a wave of people. There's already a wave of people that are dissatisfied with our current state of our health care. But I, I invite you all to be part of that wave because it's the only way we'll ever make change. There has to be a broad demand for change. So join me. I love it. <laughs> I, uh, I'm working on getting RFK on my podcast. I have a friend that's close with him and uh, I feel not to get political, but when I think of him, I think of what you just said. So Audrey, thank you so much for coming on. You were great. And um, I appreciate you, your time. Thank you. I appreciate being here. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.